Carrie. And we are Paranormal Chicks. Episode 47. We are almost half a century old in podcast years. That's crazy. I feel it. My hip hurts. <laughs> <laughs> I just went, took some Advil for my back. So <laughs> we're a pair. Don't pick us for kickball. <laughs> <laughs> Red Rover, Red Rover, send neither one of us right over. <laughs> oh, gosh. Okay, so I do have something to say. Is it a podcast recommendation? Nope, nope, nope. But I had recommended some podcasts to my coworker, Sean, and he listens to the podcast here. Hey, Sean. Hi. But he was saying that he is now into true crime. He was yes. like, never before really into it. He was like, started listening to your podcast because. Hello, it's you. Yeah. And he's like, well, I went down a rabbit hole. He was like, I'm not all the way up to date with your podcast because I got, I got twisted. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so then he was like, also from y'all, I never knew the ID channel existed. What? And now I watch ID go. And yes, he was like, I really like it. <laughs> and I was like, yes, welcome to the true crime cult. It really, it's just, it's fascinating. Yeah. Because you get to understand, well, you try at least, to understand these like extremes in society. Yeah. From all walks of life, you know, and it's just so interesting to try to figure out who people are and why they do the things that they do. And yeah. even with the paranormal, believe the things that they believe. And it's just fun to be able to kind of psychoanalyze it, even yes. though even though we're armchair detectives and armchair psychologists. Right. <laughs> neither one of us have a degree for that. Nope. We sure like to pretend like it, though. Yep. I pull words out like I know them, but it's okay. Hey, I mean, sure. <laughs> I... I use this fake degree more than I use my actual degree. Right. So there's that. <laughs> life goals, people. Life goals. Okay. Hmm. So let's give them what they want. The people have spoken. Uh-huh. They said, true crime, paranormal. I think they said paranormal first. Oh, Jesus. It's my turn to go first. Ooh. Can I say something real quick first, though? Well, shit. Bust my burble. Burble. <laughs> Bust or burble. Bust it. Burber. Oh, fuck. <laughs> You're wearing Burberry? I'm confused. <laughs> yeah, I'm she, she. She's obsessed with this word right now, y'all. She said it like eight times today. <laughs> In all different contexts. Here's the context. Wait, oh, my God. Okay, so Donna has officially lost it. She doesn't know any fucking words. Mm-mm. But I'm you know what? fucking 47. What do you expect? <laughs> Early on said Alzheimer's. Awesome. Great. You're going to be loads of fun. <laughs> I will be. You know what that reminds me of, though? On Real Housewives of Beverly Hills, Lisa Vanderpump, she her party designer person that does all of her parties, he says that, oh, she, she, all the time. <laughs> Excellent commentary. I mean, you know what has been so fun this week? What? The thread that Valerie A.B. posted in the Facebook group of, like, figuring out, oh, like, yeah, how yeah. everybody found us. Yeah. That has been so much fun to read. Yes. So thank you for posting that, Valerie. Yes, Valerie. But Valerie's legit. OG. Valerie was the first person ever in our Facebook group other than, like, our families. Yeah, that we forced to <laughs> yeah, be Yeah, that we there. said, no, you're joining. <laughs> Except the invitation, damn it. No. Um, yes. It's been really cool to see, like, how people found us. Yeah, and, the origin stories. Mm, yeah. So that's all I had to say about that. You can go now. 
Oh, okay, thanks. You're welcome. And three, two, one, here we go. I'm about to apologize before I start. I'm going to murder something. And it's names, places, dates, times, everything. The whole story. The whole story. It's going to be shit. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, So you're going to tell it like I tell it? <laughs> yeah, trigger warning. It's going to be rough. As in my storytelling. Okay. Mm-hmm. You're due one because the past 46 episodes has been Whatever. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> okay. We are going to talk about the Dyatlov Pass incident. In 1959, there were 10 people and they were all students of Ural Polytechnical Institute in Safverd Lusky? Lusk? I don't know. I'm sorry. But it's now known as Yekaterinburg Soviet Union. Okay. I know the place. Mm-hmm. I mean, look that up on a map. All right. So they're up in this place. Just remember, Soviet Union, not here. Also, <laughs> just so y'all know, she has like a whole separate paper that has these words written out phonetically. And it's not, oh, God, this phonetically. It's hard. It's, it's hard. It's Donna's phonetically. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. All of them were experienced grade two hikers, and they had ski tour experience. Something I'll never know. And they wanted to receive grade three certification. Is that like the highest? Yeah. At the time, it was the highest certification in the Soviet Union. Union. Good God. To get the certification, you have to traverse 300 kilometers, which is 190 miles. And the goal of the expedition is to reach Otorton, which is a mountain 10 kilometers, 6.2 miles, north of the site of this incident. And this route in February, which is when this takes place, is estimated as a Category 3, the most difficult. Sounds like something I would never fucking do. Mm -hmm. I'm like, uh, no. No. All you adventurers, you have your fun. I'll stay at home. Looking at you, Kimberly Kelly. So the indigenous people in this area, they're called the Manzi. And in their language... Otorton, the place where they're trying to get, it literally means don't go, don't go their mountain. Damn. Yeah. And the slope that the group had this incident on, see a kill, it translates to dead mountain. Well, hell yeah, it has the word kill in it. <laughs> but the dead mountain to the Manzi people, that meant like, sparse vegetation and like games and stuff like that I mean, not games game uh, yeah and they also didn't have monopoly so like i said there were 10 people and i'm gonna go ahead and name them <laughs> i give them names i was gonna say don't they already have <laughs> i'm gonna tell you about each one okay the leader of the group is igor diatlov which is what this incident is known as. Mm -hmm. He was a radio enthusiast, like I said, a student at the Polytechnical School. He built portable stove for hikers and like a portable radio. And so, you know, like he's inventing shit, living his best life. And he actually took one of the portable stoves on this trip. 
and he's 23 years old. Then Yuri Doroshenko, he was a radio engineering student, and he's pretty much, you know, like known as being a badass around campus because on a previous camping trip, he charged a giant bear with nothing but a geologist hammer. And, I mean, like, picture Shawshank Redemption. I swear to God, I was just about to ask. Like, yeah. the Shawshank Redemption? Yes, that little that little one. He's like, ah, to a bear. I mean, it got him out of prison. Right? Dufresne? I mean, that and, like, a faulty wall. I mean, and a big old poster. Mm-hmm, a fuzzy britches. Let's um, say a fuzzy britches. <laughs> and Yuri, he is 21. The next one, and she is one of the only two females, Ludmila Dubonino. She's the youngest at 20. She was an economics student. And on a previous camping trip, it should be noted that she was shot by a fellow camper when he was cleaning his gun. Boy, they. Yeah. And then there's another one, Yuri Kravonashenko. He was a construction and hydraulic student. Joker of the group, like, life of the party, played the mandolin and actually brought it on this trip. And he's 23. Then Alexander Kolevatov, he was a nuclear physics student. He worked at a secret Soviet service before, whose purpose was to supervise the Soviet nuclear industry. Shit. And he's 24. And then the other female is Zenaida Kolmogorova. She was a radio engineering student, super lively, well-liked. And on a previous camping trip, she had been bitten by a viper and still pressed on like, no, I'm going to finish the trip. Like a snake? Uh-huh. And Like she, a poisonous snake? I mean, are vipers poisonous? And yes, I don't know. <laughs> Again, I don't hike. Nature. It's like, only know nature in the summer, and that's when I'm in a pool. Next guy, his name is Rustam Slobodin, and he was born in Moscow to a rich family, and he studied mechanical engineering. So he's like the, I hate to say playboy, but like the one who doesn't have to worry because he's got rich parents. Yeah. Another one is Nikolai Thibaut Brynja, and he studied civil construction, and he was born in a concentration camp for political prisoners. Yeah, he was a son of a French communist, and he had promised his parents this was his last trip. Oh, shit. Mm Mm-hmm. And then Alexander Zolotaryov, he was the only one who wasn't a student, and he was a hiking instructor. And a World War II vet. He joined to add points to his degree so he could be a master instructor. I don't think I've been telling their ages again. He was 38. He was the oldest. So roughly they're all 24, 20 Mm -hmm. to 24. Yeah. And then the instructor who was older. Yeah. Last but not least, Yuri Yudin. And he was an economics student. And he had... An ailment, as Tiffany likes to say, and he had rheumatism. All right, so we know who they are. They're super fucking smart. Mm -hmm. They're super badass. Like, 
they've all accomplished more in their short lives than uh, probably ever will. <laughs> right? And they understand so much more. All right. So on January 28th, tragedy already strikes. Yuri Yudin, his rheumatism was acting up and he had to turn back because his knee and joint pain were was too much and he wouldn't be able to make the complicated climb later. Mm-hmm. And so they were like, look, boy, bye. Because we don't get an extra badge for carrying you up this fucking right. thing. Goodbye. Let's go. And so he was like, I mean, peace. Whatever. You know he was pissed, though. Mm-hmm. Well, um, I mean, but what else were they supposed to do? Yeah, I mean, like, because he was all right, right there, where it was the easiest. But, yeah, going up on that 190-something miles on a bad knee and... Well, and, I mean, they couldn't... I mean, they're trying to figure it out for themselves yeah. to get to be able to do more. Like, they yeah. can't take, make it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, this is for fun. This isn't life or death. In right. that, like, no man left behind. Right. Yeah. Like, boy, bye. Catch it by the fire. Save me some hot cocoa. Mm-hmm. All right. So, now we're on January 31st. The group has arrived at an edge of a highland area. And they're like, all right, we're about to climb. They got in extra food and stuff that they're going to use for the trip back. Then the following day, February 1st, the hikers started to move through the pass. And it, what it seems like is they plan to go over the pass and make camp for the next night on the opposite side. But because weather conditions worsened and they had snowstorms and they couldn't see Mm -hmm. they lost their direction even (gasps) though they're super well trained and everything it was like a complete whiteout basically and they deviated west and when they realized their mistake they were like all right we can stop here set up camp it's not ideal but like we know we're pretty safe here and it was on the slope of the mountain Rather than move in 1.5 kilometers, which is like 0.93 miles, downhill to a forested area where they would have more surroundings and they wouldn't Mm -hmm. just be out in the clearing. However, they're going to lose that altitude. And if it snows like it is, it's going to be even harder to get back to go back up to lose that whole mile. Yeah, that's a long way. Yeah. I mean, we know how long it takes me to walk a mile. (laughs) Like... They literally walked 190 miles in the snow uphill. (laughs) Right. Both ways. No. Well, so, with no means of contact, because they up in the mountains. Um, Isn't one of them like a radio specialist? I feel like he could have figured that out. (laughs) So, before leaving, since there's no communication, Igor Dyatlov, he was like, look, I'm going to send a telegram to the sports club when we return at this little, like, village at the end of the mountain, mm-hmm. you know. And that would be no later than February 12th. And it was such a long time because he's like, look, no, we don't know what we're going to get to up there. But we should be here before the 12th. But, like, on the 12th, be expecting that day. Yeah. And, like, that call. So, the 12th comes, and they don't, they don't get the telegram. But they're like, I mean... You don't know what it's like up there. It's in February. It's the hardest time to do this, you know? Like, so we'll give it 
Well, a week goes by. Oh, shit. And the relatives are like, where the fuck are they? Did they choose February as the roughest time because that's what they needed to get their, like, certification, or do you know? I don't know. They probably, I mean, I don't know, and I'm not, like, trying to victim shame this, but they're all so smart, and they've, they're trying to get the hardest one, so it's like, we're going to do it the hardest time, yeah, and we're going to prove to everyone, like, how badass we are, because, I mean, they are badass, mm-hmm. you know, and so that might have... yeah. Bennett, I don't know why. So, on February 20th, the head of the Institute sent the first rescue group. And that consisted of volunteers, fellow students, and teachers. So, I mean, it's just like all hands on deck kind of thing. Well, then, later, the Army and, like, military forces have to become involved because... It's those like teachers and kids can't be searching that high up. Yeah. Like, hey, here's the hardest thing to do. Let's go do it and search for people. Yeah. And they would have created more people they needed to search for because these people would have been in danger. Right. So days went by with no sign. And so people were like, I mean, what's going to happen? You know, like we, it's like trying to find a needle in a haystack. Mm Mm-hmm. So, on the sixth day of searching, which was February 26th, Shit. they spotted a damaged tent. They looked at it, and they're like, what? Like, the campsite was weird. Mikhail Sheravin, he was a student who found the tent, and he said that the tent was half torn down and covered with snow. It was empty, and all the group's belongings and shoes had been left behind. Their shoes? Mm-hmm. So, when the rescuers examined the tent, they were like, okay, this has been cut from the inside. What? Yeah. And temperatures on that mountain generally went well below zero, and they could drop as low as negative 30 degrees Celsius. Holy shit. Yeah. I gotta look what that's been Fahrenheit. Okay. It's negative 22 degrees Fahrenheit. Fuck. Shit. Okay. I wonder if that's counting wind. The wind chill? Yeah. Probably not. I mean, can the wind chill really get lower than that? You know, like, <laughs> I mean, I'm sure it can't. Like, my brain cannot, truly cannot no. process that. Like, no. the coldest weather I think I've ever been in is like five degrees. Oh, God. Mine's like 30 or, I mean. It's been in the teens here before. Okay. Yeah, that's true. That's true. But, like. This crazy winter that we're having mm-hmm. right now and, like, all over the north and New England, you know, like, New England and then all the way to, like, Ohio and stuff. Like, I yeah. don't – y'all getting feet of snow <laughs> and it's, like, negative 22. My brain truly cannot process no. that. Like, any – I feel like in my head, and I know this is not accurate – but in my head, anything below zero just has to feel the same, right? <laughs> you know, it's like – How can it go less than that? Yeah. Beats the fuck out of me. Right. I mean, hell, even your freezer's at 32. (laughs) Oh, my God. That's so true. Ugh. Okay. So, finding this and just finding how it was perplexed them because they're like, okay, a group of seasoned hikers Mm -hmm. who were super fucking smart and super crafty and, you know, just quick on their feet, all Mm -hmm. of this, they cut open 
a tent. From the inside. From the inside and ran. So they discovered several sets of still visible footsteps. Well, footprints in the snow. And they led to a nearby wooded area. And the track seemed to have been made by people who were barefoot or in socks or only wearing one shoe. What? Yeah. So whatever happened in the tent clearly freaked them the fuck out. And they're just like, we got to go because they're asleep. You know, like mm-hmm. they were in. They were in camp. Yeah. yeah. They'd made camp or whatever. Mm-hmm. Look um. at me using the lingo. <laughs> so it becomes like a little bit longer of a walk, but that's it. The footprints are covered in snow. So they don't really know. So at the edge of the forest, the searchers found visible remains of what looked like an attempted fire. And it was the first two bodies. <gasps> and it was of Yuri Kravanashenko and Doroshenko. They were shoeless and only dressed in their underwear. <gasps> and the branches of the trees above them were broken up and it said like up to five meters high. And what they took that as is that one of them had climbed up there to try to find the camp or see what was below. Yeah. Or they say they could have both climbed up there trying to get away from whatever was on the ground. Yeah. But there were no footprints of anything else. Mm-mm. But it was all covered. Uh, yeah, but, yeah. But if it was something that would have scared them in the tent and it has their footprints go in that direction, mm-hmm. it would have had footprints following yeah. them. Yeah. If they, you know, they were like being chased. Yeah. But that you can usually, what year did you say this was? 1959. Oh, okay, never mind. Because I think like with footprints and stuff, they can usually even tell how fast your gait is mm. when you're going. Like how close or how far apart they are. Yeah. Especially if they know like how tall you are. Huh. I may have made that up. Okay. Sounds right. So then a little later, the searchers found three more bodies. It was Dyatlov, Kolmogorova, and Slobodin. And they died seemingly like in a pose that said that they were trying to go back to the tent. Okay. So that's four of ten, right? Five. Five of ten. Because one, Yuri Yurden, Yudin. Oh, that's right. He was at back. The, yeah. yeah. So five. And they were found, like, separately at, like, 300, 480, and 630 meters from the tree. So, after the first five bodies are found, a legal inquest started. So, the medical examination, it found no injuries that might have led to their death. And eventually, it would be ruled that they died of hypothermia. And Slobodin, he had a small crack in his skull, but it was thought to not be a fatal wound. How hard was it to get those damn bodies off that mountain? Oh, my gosh. So, they have found the five. Searching for the remaining four took more than two months. Shit. They were finally found May 4th under four meters of snow (gasps) in a ravine. (gasps) 75 meters further into the woods from the pine tree. How did they find them under that much snow? I don't know. 
Like, how did you know, like, okay, I'm going to dig here. I have no idea. And these four were better dressed than the others. And there were signs of that those who died first relinquished their clothing to these four. Zolotaryov, he was wearing uh, Dubonina's faux fur coat and hat. And Dubonina's foot was wrapped in a piece of Kravonashenko's wool trousers. Mm. So after the examination of these four bodies, it kind of shifted the narrative from hypothermia. Oh. Three of them had fatal injuries. <gasps> Thibaut Brenya, he had major skull damage. And then Dubonina and Zolotaryov, they had major chest fractures, broken ribs, blah, blah, blah. And according to Dr. Boris, the force required to cause such damage would have been extremely high, comparable to the force of a car crash. Oh, shit. Yeah. And what's even more strange is that the bodies had no external wounds. Yeah. So, yeah. It was like they were subjected to, like, a high level of pressure. Yeah. But I feel like even with that, it would leave... Some sort of mark. Yeah. Things get more weird. So, there were external injuries on Dubonina, but it was because she was missing her tongue, eyes, <gasps> part of her lip, and as well as the facial tissue and fragments of skull bone. Oh. She had extensive skin maceration on the hands. And what's claimed to be the source of this is that she was found lying face down in that ravine so it could have been the water and like just been like putrefaction of it but again it's it can't be ruled as that but here's the kicker that their bodies and their clothes they found small traces of radiation and so then they tested the campsite and it also had radiation radiation yeah so, journalists, they had some knowledge, and what they told people, like the public, was that six of the group members died of hypothermia, and then three of fatal injuries. There were no indications of anyone else on Kulat Siakil. The tent had been ripped open from the inside. The victims died six to eight hours after their last meal, and then that the traces from it showed that they left barefoot or you know not adequately dressed they the release documents didn't say anything about the internal organs or any of the fractures or any of that like the press release no they didn't know this because the documents like that they would be able to see gotcha they're like sealed yeah okay and there were no survivors of the incident besides yuri yudin who His rheumatism basically saved him. So, at the time that the verdict was in, it said that the group had all died from, quote, a compelling natural force. Like, what? What does that even mean? Exactly. An earthquake? A hurricane? A tiger? I mean, like, that could be (laughs) anything. And so, everything pretty much closed May 1959 because... There wasn't a guilty party. Like, you 
I mean, you can't say anything. Right. There really was no evidence of foul play, but there also wasn't no evidence. Right. However, the files were sent to a secret archive. That sounds sketch. Yeah, for real. And so it's like so many unanswered questions. And again, these are super smart people, Mm -hmm. super prepared. And again, you know, Final Destination kind of crap. If it's your time, it's your time. But all nine of them... They were all nine sleeping in a tent. How big was that fucking tent? It was it was long. I mean, it's almost like there was some sort of, like, hallucinogenic in the tent. Even if it was unintended. Like, maybe they put it over, I don't know, some fungi that mm-hmm. they didn't know they did. And it, like, seeped through and it was... You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it's, it's legit almost like they had... I don't know. Yeah. Some sort of hallucinogenic that made them all like, I got to get out of this tent, you know? Yeah. So, initially, like, the people who were skeptical of this compelling natural force shit. Yeah. So, everybody? Yeah. They were like, it's the Mansi people. They were pissed off that they're on their land, and they came and attacked them. But there were no signs of them. And... They're not, they're peaceful people. Mm -hmm. And also, this place was like nothing to them. Like, this wasn't their like sacred place. So it's like, I mean, have your fun. Like, go up there. Good luck. You know, hope you don't die on the mountain that starts, that has the word kill in it. (laughs) Yeah. Like, um, okay, I got my money on you. Like, I mean, yeah. All right. So, other than the indigenous people, Second one is UFO. I knew that's where you were going. <laughs> so it was reported from some eyewitnesses in the northern Ural mountain area that's close to where they were that they saw fast moving balls of fire in the night sky. And it was around that time of that incident. So They said that it could be a Soviet missile or rocket test, and maybe it fucked up Mm -hmm. and hit them. Who knows? Or it was like a UFO, not as in aliens, but as in a we don't know about some special type of government. Literally an unidentified flying object. Yeah. Yeah. In the truest sense of... The terminology. Yeah. And, I mean, this is, like, Cold War time. Yeah. Oh, God, yes. Yeah. So, I mean, it's... Tensions are fucking high. Mm -hmm. And then unanswered questions, your mind's going to go to places. Right. Also, they say that maybe those balls of fire exploded and, like, emitted a beam of some kind of energy. Mm -hmm. And that directly caused their death. And that might have been the... Radiation? Yeah. Not sure. Well, I mean, it makes sense that it was some sort of, like, government test weapon that nobody knew about. Because it's really sketchy that their files got sent to that secret, whatever the you archive, said. The archive, yeah. Also, the lead detective, the guy who was in charge of the investigation, mm-hmm. Lee Ivanov, he noted that the tops of the trees around the hikers and their campsite were charred and burned. Hmm. Ivanov, he's saying, okay, this is like the head of the investigation. It's like, no, no, no. I think it was a UFO. 
and like something's being covered up here. Mm-hmm. But he he was prevented from looking at any of the KGB documents. And he claimed in the 1990s when he was given an interview, he was pressured by many Russian officials to doctor and repeal from any of his records about the UFO. Wow. Yeah. And so it's like they were trying to keep him quiet. Like, why? Yeah. You know? And then if you think about Dubininia and her tongue being gone and like all of that to her face. Yeah. They're like, maybe they made an example of her. Like you mentioned about the tent, it's super long. But when they found it, it looked like it would only house like five people. Hmm. It wasn't put up correctly like they would have put it up. Yeah. These are super skilled people. Why wasn't it put up correctly? And so they're like, "Mm." it's like someone tried to cover their tracks a little mm-hmm. and like oh we'll put this up a little bit but they don't know yeah like how many people like you know what i mean like they right. don't know what it's supposed to look like but it's supposed to look like this long almost like a trench cover you know and right. it looked like a regular tent kind of can you imagine how cold it was oh my gosh no so yuri helped them to identify items that they found at the campsite But there were some that he could not identify. He couldn't identify a cloth that looked like it was military. Hmm. Um, And then some glasses that was there and some skis. Skis? Yeah. They had skis. Oh. I guess that's how they got back down. I'm just kidding. That's how they climbed. Yeah. It was a joke. But he was like, all right, this is what I think. The military found the bodies before the rest of them did, tried to do a little cleanup, and, I mean, pretty much covered their tracks, Mm -hmm. literally. Yeah. But they kind of fucked up here, you know, like, Mm -hmm. something, I mean, I don't know. I don't know how you leave your glasses, but, well, I do, because everyone does, namely you, in your purse. I still think it's weird that they found the bodies of the ones who were away from the tree, like, four meters down in snow. Yeah. Like, that makes zero sense. Like, how did they know, like, again, I know I said this a second ago, but, like, how did they know, like, let's dig here? I mean, I'm sure they plotted out places, and they just kept going up and up and up or down and down and down. And then I know that they, I don't know about these people, but, like, I've seen on places that they have, like, long poles that they put, like, in the ground. And they do what? Pull up a finger? <laughs> I mean, they just, like, okay, something's hard. Let's dig here. But, I mean, when, you've, when you're when you talking, because let's be honest, I Googled it. When you're talking four meters of snow, that is 13 feet. And, you know, our yeah. understanding. Just over it. But, I mean, at what point does the snow become so packed under there that you're, like, it's all hard? Yeah. I, you know? I don't know. Again. I mean, that snow concept is beyond us. Like, I, yeah. I mean, like... If it's more than, like, an inch on the ground, I don't fucking understand. So, I'm sure that there's, like, way yeah. smarter things in search and rescue yeah. for these type of areas that I can even comprehend. Mm-hmm. But I'm just, like, it's just, it's weird when there's already so much suspicion and, I mean, hello, you're doing a story about it. And I know you probably haven't even come close to covering all the theories and stuff, but, I mean, you're covering it because there's something sketch. Mm-hmm. 
Okay, and also there were some speculations that the campsite fell within the path of the Soviet parachute mine exercise, and that's they say that it might they might have woke from loud explosions, fled the tent, you know, shell shocked, panicked, and then fuck can't find myself can't find their way home because they're freezing and everything else. But why did some have the other person's clothes on? Because then what they're saying is then those people who were going to pass, like, okay, like, I've already gotten this amount, blah, 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 gave it to them, or... But I'm saying, like, in that specific scenario. Yeah, like, they couldn't make it. I'm just saying, like, they couldn't make it to, we're not going to make it, but maybe you can. Yeah. Like, because they might have been the ones that were... One sock on barefoot, and the other one might have had a little bit more clothing. You know what I mean? Like, better you than no one. Yeah. But another reason why some of them might have been without clothes is called paradoxical undressing. Yeah. Where if you're hypothermic, they remove their clothes because they're feeling like they're on fire. I forgot about that. Yeah. So that might have been some of the reason and then the other ones were like okay and you know wrap their fucking foot up or put their fur coat on so there were records of parachute mines being tested by the soviet military in that area around the time that the hikers were there parachute mines they detonate while they're still in the air not when they strike the surface and they produce Injuries, kind of like they had really severe internal injuries and not a lot externally. It's almost like their injuries are like from sound waves or something. You're on to something. Also, it's the fucking Soviet Union. I know. We're never going to know. Exactly. Anything for real. Yeah. Which is why conspiracy theorists love this. Okay. And then they say also that... Dubonina's injuries could have been because they were using scavenging animals to find them. Like on the hands or her mouth? Hands and her mouth and tongue. Yeah. And also, they seem to have some burns to their hair and skin. So, they say that could have been from that as well. What you were saying about sound, there is a theory where it's infra infrasound. And Donnie Eichner... He wrote a book, 2013, called Dead Mountain, and he said that the wind going across that mountain created, like, a vortex, and it can produce infrasound capable of inducing panic attacks in humans, and he said that it was, like, the wind passes over the top of the mountain, and it can cause physical discomfort, mental distress, And he said, okay, they're in a panic. They're like, get the fuck out of here. We got to go. So they flee down the slope to get away from whatever they're like. They can't hear the sound, but it's just like that distress. Like, got to get, got to get away, got to get away. They get to a certain point where it's not reaching. And then they're like, oh, oh, shit, we got to go back up. Like, we're going to freeze to death. God, can you imagine? No. All right, and now back to the radiation 
stuff, like I said, it was on the four that were down in the ravine. And then it also was around the campsite. And many of the relatives, they noted that during the funeral services, the bodies appeared to be given off an unnatural orange glow. What? And he's. they said that some of their hair had gone gray. And the orange coloration is thought to be from the intense radiation. But they also said that it could have been, I think, from, like, shock or something, too, with the gray hair. Yeah, well, that I, truly, I thought that about the gray hair. Like, yeah, because they were literally scared to death. Yeah. So, with the radiation, they say that they came across, like, the military testing again, and it was nuclear, and they can't go back and tell anyone, you know? And then you have these highly intelligent people, and it's like, no, 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 they can't be trusted. Because they would figure it out. Yeah. And something to note, these kids, I say kids because, I mean, they're, gosh, so young, They recorded everything because you have to keep a diary. You have to take photographs. So, like, yes, we're skiing in a straight line. We're doing this. We're doing this. And that's why that tent would have been properly done Mm -hmm. because they have to document or they don't get the credit. And then they, you know, risk their life for nothing. Don't get their merit badge. Yes, exactly. So, There were lots of photos, and I'll have, like, all of them that, not all of them, because, again, they took so many, but I'll have enough that you'll. So they found their cameras and stuff. Mm Mm-hmm. That the film was okay? They found some of the cameras. They didn't find all of them. And the film was okay? Some of it, yeah. So I feel like if it was, like, radiation and all of that, that it's given them an orange hue, surely it would have fucked up the film. I don't know. I mean... I mean, they put them in casings and stuff like that, too. Yeah, but, I mean, again, if it's enough to kill a human being, is a little Fujifilm case gonna... You know what I mean? True. Girl, I don't know. And these people don't think about that. They just want tell you it's military testing i mean i'm sure it is it's, again it's the fucking soviet union i'm sure they saw something they weren't supposed to see and so they got rid of them mm-hmm. and now we're going to be gotten rid of because we're fucking talking about i'm it. pretty sure i'm on a watch list with all oh. of these damn things i'm like oh absolutely like i'm just doing a story on my podcast a third party observer with no particular interest in the matter mm-hmm. So, okay, back to the photographs. There was one photograph, and it's now known as a 33rd frame, and it shows, like, a bright object moving against a dark background. UFO. (laughs) They're like, "Mm, this is weird. Like, why would they have taken this? One, they're not going to waste film. Two, like, they've taken all these pictures. It's not like someone randomly Mm -hmm. was like, How do you use this technology? But also, when they were looking around the camp, I was going to say camp tent, the tent at the campsite, they noticed that the camera, like one of the cameras, was on like an improvised tripod, and the lens cap was open, and so the camera was was ready to shoot. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, 
why, like, so he premeditated of leaving this tripod and the camera ready to shoot. Like, why did he do that before they escaped? Yeah. And if it was, like, some sort of emergent, gotta run, I mean, why would he have been like, oh, let me set up this tripod? Yeah. So we've got aliens, we've got military stuff, and now we have a Yeti. I knew it was coming. (laughs) I mean, and we're not talking about the tumblers, folks. (laughs) Just you one listener out there. We're not talking about the tumblers. All right. So, again, there's been no evidence that a Yeti exists. Yes. And is in this spot. I mean, however, they're like, who ripped out her tongue? What's going on? And... Whatever. And I'm sure the military's like, it probably was a Yeti. Meanwhile, I watch Monsters, Inc. He's nice. He makes no <laughs> If it was a Yeti, though, why would he have just... It's because it's apparently a boy Yeti. Why would he have just done one person's tongue and one person's eye and one... Per- you know what I mean? Like, it's all from the same person. Like, right. she just had really good pheromones? That'll make no sense. <laughs> I don't think they really have a lot of proof that it's a Yeti. It's just like... This is where he could have been. And, you know, like, I mean, there's... mountain with snow. Yeah. But there is a photograph, and it's supposedly a Yeti that they captured. But, of course, it's blurry. Mm -hmm. Much like the Bigfoot pictures. Yes. I mean, exactly like it. And a Loch Ness Monster. Mm Mm-hmm. But, turns out, they were jokesters, too. And... To keep themselves, like, preoccupied on this journey, they made a fake newsletter. And so, they would take, like, some of their diary stuff and blah, blah, blah. And so, it could have been one of them, like, we found a Yeti, you know, and, like, in one of those fur coats or something. And, again, they know how to take pictures. So, it's like, oh, go back there, blah, 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 blah. You know, I mean. They're kids. mm Mm-hmm. So, could be a Yeti. <laughs> but we've Yeti to decide. Oh, my God. All right. So, now we're getting to the one where most people lean towards. And it's the avalanche. I didn't even think of that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, hello, four meters of snow. So, they're saying, okay, all of these hypotheses, they're good, great. But we don't know anyone who's really died from all of this. But we do know... That hikers and skiers, they die from avalanches. Mm -hmm. So this is like the only plausible thing. All right. So here's what they say. It was an avalanche. They heard it like, got to get out. Fuck. So they go. Some of them, they end up splitting up into the three groups. Some try to build a fire, which is why they had like the burnt hands Mm -hmm. and stuff. Then some froze to death. And then the others who were alive went back, got their clothes, like, sorry, buddy, but, you Mm -hmm. know. And then they, it's dark. They're just freaking out, fall down, get stuck in the ravine, Mm -hmm. freeze to death. Oh, God. Can you imagine? No. Not at all. And they're saying that the avalanche, that's why they would be under all the snow. But it's only those four that... We're under the snow, like, yeah. that far down. 
but also it didn't have any obvious signs of an avalanche and they shouldn't have been able to still see footprints if an avalanche had come through. True. And the tent was still standing. Like, I mean, it was in kind of bad condition, but it was because some of the fallen snow had gotten on there and made it more like sunken in, Mm -hmm. but it wasn't demolished like it would have been in an avalanche. And hikers have been up here, like up in this area, like since then. Mm -hmm. And they are like, we've never seen any sign of an avalanche. Like the conditions here aren't like the secret, you know, the magic ingredient to have it. So people are like, "Mm." and why, like the avalanche doesn't cover the radiation, like, why is that there then? Yeah. And. Well, unless it was, like, already some sort of, like, buried radiation something that caused the avalanche. And then, or the avalanche came and because of the radiation, it kind of shimmied it in a different direction where the way they ran. Maybe. Probably should have done uh, research on radiation. <laughs> well, people have, like, entire degrees and careers on that so yeah all right so that's really it what yeah i know unsatisfied unsatisfied i know but what what got me in this so let me just say the region was closed for like three years after this Mm -hmm. but it's now currently accessible like i said they've been up there blah 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 but in february this month this year oh shit it's the 60th, 60th anniversary. Oh. And so CNN announced that the Russian authorities were reopening the investigation. Oh, shit. Yeah. And they're like, all right, we know, we think that like an avalanche or some natural occurring thing is the cause of it. Mm-hmm. But we're going to do like nine different tests. We're going to like... All these theories, we're going to test them out, but we're really leaning towards the natural stuff. Mm-hmm. Kind of like we're going to show you that these theories are... They're going to debunk them. Yeah. But it's they said that our goal is to establish which of the 75 existing theories... Oh, shit. ...could be confirmed by reliable evidence. Because, again, like, I mean, from military testing is... Like, the envelope, you Mm -hmm. know, or the umbrella. Yeah. And so then, under that could be 20 different theories of different tests. But so, we don't really know what they're going to find. Or, like, are they going to let some more information out? Because you know shit's been redacted Uh from what they've let out. It's like, oh, okay, yeah, I read the word the. Right. You know, and their names or if they would let some other investigators into the country to Mm, do it yeah that would be cool so i don't know i'll try to keep on top of it and like do some little updates and stuff i know but i had never heard of this me neither i mean probably because you know i don't read outdoor weekly well i really thought you were taking it to where they had to cannibalize each other oh my gosh and i was like when you said that girl's Eye and tongue were missing. Ugh. I was about to say, please don't tell me it was found in the stomach. Of oh my one. gosh! Right? Oh, I, 
thank you for that. Did you do my research? Mm-hmm. She had some coagulated blood in her stomach. And so they were like, she wouldn't have got that from just being face down in the ravine. Mm-hmm. Like it looked like maybe like say her tongue was sliced off or yeah whatever and then that blood like her swallow and the blood was in her stomach but you know like i'm i don't know i just believe what they write down what do you think i think military Mm -hmm, i do too and i don't know i don't think it was like ooh, we're gonna bomb this one place it could have been like okay we're gonna go over here bomb this place or test this Mm -hmm. thing out And then maybe, like, it's a test, so it didn't work out, and boom. You know, it's like, oh, fuck, it went here. Mm -hmm. Well, no one's probably up there. It's fucking February. And then they go and just see, like, okay, well, let's see the damage or whatever. And then they find these people, maybe half dead, maybe whatever, you know? And they're like, we got to cover it up. You know, I mean, who knows? They might have been bundled up and, like, you can't leave and forced them yeah. to be like that. I don't know. And maybe it was, like, because they did split up, so maybe they got to the people who were naked first. Mm-hmm. Like, they weren't naked at the time. Mm-hmm. Then they, you know, obviously were dead. And then the other survivors were, like oh, shit, they're dead. Let's get their clothes, though, and maybe we can make it back to camp. Right. Get our camera, get our shit, and, like, go, you know, try something else. Like, because they were trying to go back to camp. So they obviously thought it was safe enough, or so maybe, I I, I don't know. I mean, the cut from the tent from the inside and all of that could be part of a cover-up, too, though. Mm Mm-hmm. Them trying to look like they had been attacked or something. Yeah. I mean, who knows? I know. It's so crazy. And like you said, I mean, it could have been some shit they found. I mean, I don't know what kind of vegetation is there. But, you know, I mean, I don't mm-hmm. know. I'm like, we'll never know. And that's so crazy. And it is. And that, so sad. The amount of survivor's guilt, too, that that guy probably Gosh, has for leaving. It. Yes. I mean, you know, he's so thankful Mm-hmm. And so, oh, but it's like, I hope, I mean, he's passed now. He, he survived till like the age of 72. He showed rheumatism who's boss. Uh, <laughs> but I hope he found peace before he passed. Mm-hmm. And he knew that, I mean, he's only one person. He would not have been able to, to help in that situation. No, not at all. Dang. Yeah. Well, shit, now i got to follow that up. Are you going to have a lot of theories? Oh, well. Shit. Well, all right. So this is a podcast about theories. We're changing it up. 47. We had our midlife crisis. So conspiracy theories. Let's get them. So I had this story picked out. And I had basically it completely done. And I just wasn't feeling it. And then you sent me something. You should have seen her face. She has no idea. So I was like, I'll do it. I'm doing the Texarkana Moonlight Murders, a.k.a. Lover's Lane. Oh, my gosh. Yay. Like, you legit sent me that today. Yes. Mm -hmm. And I was like, let me 
look into this because I really didn't like what I had chosen. And I'll do it again because it's a really good story. Mm-hmm. They're both very long, both of the stories. And so <laughs> I was like, oh, God. So I was hoping that this one might be a little bit shorter because my other one was legit 50 pages. But so is this one. Oh, Lord. <laughs> so anyway, so I was like, well, I'll just do this one. Yeah, I have no clue what this is. I saw something online and I was like, that sounds really interesting. And it sounds like a crown to remember. Yes. Like that kind of stuff. It very much is. And I love that. It it, it truly is. Yay. Okay. okay, I'm sitting back. Let me prop my hip up. Oh, God. We're going back to your old days. Uh-huh. Okay. So Texarkana is a city that sits on, like, part of it is in Texas and part of it is in Arkansas. So that's why it's called Texarkana. We're going back to the year 1946. Okay? Ready? Okay. You've, you're picturing Crime to Remember-esque. Mm-hmm. Imagine mm-hmm. my voice, like that lady's voice that does the commentary. Mm-hmm. Okay. February 22nd, 1946. There was a young couple, Jimmy Hollis, he was 25, and his girlfriend, Mary Jean Larry, she was 19. They were out and about on a Friday night, you know, doing a little necking at Lover's Lane. Getting a little she-she. I mean. He getting a little she-she, she getting a little hee-hee. If y'all could have seen her, <laughs> she did her finger pointing. <laughs> He's getting a little she-she. Horizontal. She's getting a little hee-hee. Vertical. (laughs) This girl. Okay. So they had gone to the movie, and then they, you know, went on their little treks to Lover's Lane to do a little necking. And it's about 11.45 on that Friday night. About 10 minutes after they got there, this person appears at the driver's side door, which is where Hollis was seated. And they had a flashlight and were shining it in his eyes very brightly. And he was like what the fuck? You know what? Like he thought he was getting, getting pranked. And so yeah. he was like, dude, like, I don't, I don't know what you're doing, but you, you got the wrong people, you know? And the guy had like a white cloth, like mask oh over his gosh. face with his eyes cut out. Uh-uh. So creepy. No, no, no. So fucking creepy. You should see, cause there was a movie made about this back in 1976. So about 30 years after it, it was called The Town That Dreaded Sundown. And that, like I said, was 1976. So anyway, Ooh. you should see the steals from that movie. Like, it's oh like, gosh. it's like a white burlap That's sack on his face oh. with the eyeballs cut out or the eye holes, whatever. Okay. So you got this like creepy thing, like knocking yeah. on the door, shining a flashlight in your face. Like, what the hell is going on? So after Jimmy Hollis told the guy, like, whoever he is, like, dude, you got the wrong, like, you got the wrong car. Yeah. The guy was like, and I quote, I don't want to kill you, fellow, so do what I say. Fellow? Fellow. So the masked man tells Jimmy Hollis and Mary Jean to get out of the car on the driver's side. He told Hollis, or Jimmy Hollis, to take his goddamn pants off. No, excuse me. Take off your goddamn britches. <laughs> Okay, so he definitely said... Feller. Okay. Yeah, he said, like, yeah. He said, I don't want to kill you, feller. Yes, that's what he said. Mm-hmm. If he said britches, oh, he did not say, I don't want to kill you, fellow. Maybe he was working on his enunciation. Well, didn't his mama tell him, keep your britches out the ditches? 
maybe he has a podcast and he was like, God, that's how I say shit. (laughs) So after he got Jimmy to take his pants off, he hit Jimmy in the head with the pistol two times. Which head? His brain head. Okay. Skull head. Well, I mean, I didn't take his pants down. No, I was I know. just wondering. Well, I would have probably have said penis. <laughs> I don't know. You said fellow. I can't trust you anymore. <laughs> okay. So, when he hit him in the head, he hit him so hard that it cracked his skull. Holy fuck. And Mary Jean thought that he had been shot in the head because <gasps> the crack of the skull was that loud. Holy fuck. Yeah. So... I don't know if she goes by Mary or Mary Jean. So we're just going to call her Mary. Mary thought that the guy was attacking them because he wanted to rob them. So she's like, we don't have any money. Like, look, here's his wallet. Like, look, it's empty. We're, we're broke, you know? So after she did that, he hit her. Fuck. Then he was like, told her to get up because it didn't knock her out. Meanwhile, her, her boyfriend's over here knocked the, the fuck out because shit. He got hit real hard. Yeah. So, after he hit her, he was like, get up and run. Yeah, he told her to. And oh, she was he like, to fucking chase that motherfucker. I don't know. So, she gets up and starts running, of course. And so, she starts running towards this ditch. Because, you know, she's like, got this. I mean, it's dark. She's running wherever yeah. she can see. And she starts running to this ditch. And he's like, no, don't run that direction. Go this way. And so, she starts running in that different direction, and she sees this old car, like, parked on the side of the road, and so she's like, oh my God, somebody's there. So, she's, like, banging on the car to, like, to get help, but the car was empty. Mm Mm-mm. Mm-mm. He planned that. I don't think he did. I think it was just, like, somebody's car was broken down on the side of the road. Like, I don't think that was his car. It could have been. I guess it could have been. I didn't think about that. Oh, he planned it. So... Also, he probably had a Fitbit on, and he needed the extra miles. Yeah, because they definitely had Fitbits mm-hmm. in 46. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, he called up with her when she was, like, trying to get to the car. And he was like, is this dude the BTK killer? Because... He dumb. No, no, because he has this whole thing plotted out in his fucking head, and she is not doing what he wants her to do. Yeah. Like, this is not his fantasy. Well, I don't know. Yeah, because anyway. yeah, you're right though. Because she's like run the wrong direction, and yeah, he's like, uh, cut. Yeah, okay, let's go back here. You Time know. out. Anyway, sorry. So he catches up to her, and when he gets to her, he was like, "Why are you running?" And she's like, "Um, because you fucking told me to." Yeah, and he was like, told her that she was a liar and that he didn't say that, and so he knocked her down and sexually assaulted her. Oh no. With the barrel of his gun. <gasps> no. So she, after the after the assault, she she's able to get up and she starts hauling ass. She ran half a mile to this house, which was like was pretty nearby. She there was a car passing the house and she was like trying to get their attention. They never oh saw God, her, bless it. so they completely ignored her. But she was like banging on the house, banging on the house. Was finally able to get the people who lived there to wake up, and they called for police. Oh my God, bless it! So meanwhile, back at the ranch, old Jimmy Hollis is starting to wake up from his getting knocked the fuck out. Yeah, and so he ended up being able to flag somebody down on the road, and. The, the guy that he flagged down left him there and went to, like, a local, like, the next 
like a local funeral home right there so that he could call police. What? Like, I I see that well, you were attacked. I know it's a safety thing, but like yeah. I see that you're attacked and you have a big old bump on your head. But uh, stay here where your attacker is, and I'll go get help. Yeah, I mean I do see though because I know now. Yes. Yeah. In the forty, well, of course we have cell phones stuff now, but in the forties, I just feel like they were more like, oh, get in here, let me help you. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, they, and they got killed. No, I know, which is why they didn't know yet. <laughs> okay. I mean, and the guy was going to a funeral home. He didn't want to get a casket. True. And so this happened, all this happened on the Texas side of Texarkana. So the sheriff, his name was W.H. Presley, but he went by Bill. Bill and three other officers get to the scene, and Avi, the masked man, is long gone. Right. And, (laughs) sorry, I I should not laugh at this. This is fucking terrible. But they found Jimmy Hollis's pants, like, a hundred yards away from that parked car. Mary was taken to the hospital. She And she stayed overnight. She just had some head wounds. Not much. Just, you know, because he didn't hit her nearly as hard. But Jimmy was... Well, and she had trauma down to her late parts. Yeah, but I'm saying, like, that didn't require longer hospital stay. Oh. Whereas Jimmy, he was in the hospital a couple of days because oh. he had multiple... Skull fractures. So, after everybody was kind of healed up and all that, you know, out of the hospital, when the police went to get their statements, they both kind of gave conflicting statements. Like, Mary said that there was a guy with the white bag over his head with his eyes, the eye holes cut out. But she said that he was African-American, like a light-skinned African-American. Well, Jimmy said that it was a white guy. With who was around thirty, but then he was like, "But I mean, I had the flashlight in my eyes, so I couldn't really, yeah, couldn't really make him out." But this is what I think. Both of them said that they thought that he was about six feet tall. So they were like, "I, I just, you know, they're like, I'm not sure." You know, the police were like, "I just don't buy it." You know, they they kept challenging their, you know, like, "Are you sure? Are you sure?" You know, and they're like, "Yeah, well, I don't, you know, blah blah blah," because they thought that they actually knew their attacker um. and they were just covering for it or they thought that they had actually like gotten in a domestic oh. violent situation and they were kind of covering for each yeah. other. So there was just, it was a little like, Oh, well, I don't know. So it kind of fizzled out. Right. At the time, a couple of days later, there was a, an article run that said masked man beats Texar cannon and girl. But it was the Texarkana Daily News. It's like a now, like, defunct. So they said, like, it had a lot of the details and that kind of thing. But by March 9th, there weren't, again, no developments. They didn't really know what to think about it because there weren't, like, any clues about who the person was. And so they were like, well, I guess it's just like this yeah, one-off kind of thing. And, okay. Well, then, about 28 days later, Richard L. Griffin, he was 29, and his girlfriend, Polly Ann Moore, she was 17. What? Yeah, that was a, that's a big old age difference. But okay. they had only been dating about six weeks. And they had gone out on a date. They went to a local diner. And the last time they were seen was about 10 o'clock at night. Well, the next morning at about 8.30 in the morning is Sunday, you know, little old somebody going to church, I imagine. They see Richard Griffin's. 1941 Oldsmobile sedan just like on the side of the road 
And they were like, well, they saw that, like, there were people in there asleep. Because it was, like, not far from, like, a nightclub called Club Dallas. So, it just, you know, like, it could have been they were drunk, slept it off, whatever. Yeah. And so, they were like, okay, went up to the car because they thought that, you know, they were sleeping. But when they got a better look, they saw that Richard was between the front seats on his knees with his head resting like on his crossed hands, his pockets, I know his pockets were turned inside out and Polly Ann was like sprawled out face down on the back seat. Oh no. So Richard had been shot twice while he was still in the car, but they both had been shot once in the back of the head, Fuck. but they were both fully clothed. But then there was like some blood, like a, little patch of the ground beside the car was pretty blood soaked. And so they thought that maybe they had been both killed out there and then put in the car. So I don't know if maybe it was like Pollyann was killed out there and then put back in the car and he was killed in the car. I don't know, but they both had like, there was a lot of congealed blood on the running board and then it Mm -hmm. like came from the car door. So I don't know if they had been like the door was, you know, there's just some like, "Mm." There was a thirty-two caliber shell casing found there that they were like, well, maybe it was shot from a Colt, but they found it like inside a blanket. So they're thinking maybe that was used as some sort of a silencer. Yeah. There were some like local rumors that Polly had been sexually assaulted, but every like modern report that there is about it says that she wasn't. I guess there's some silver lining. I was just about to say that, like, the only silver lining. Her purse was also found beside her in the back seat. But there's also, like, one article I read said that there was, like, a mix-up with her body. And so, like, her body was picked up, I guess, by, like, the funeral home before they had done a full examination on her to see if she had been sexually assaulted. Oh, so, fuck. So, some stuff, I mean, it kind of, maybe it could be... But who knows? Okay. I mean, it's 1946, you know? I know. The other thing that happened in this case was that it rained. So... Oh, fuck. It washed away some of the evidence. Imagine that. It rained in Texas. It rained a lot when you lived there. Yes. I never realized how much it rained until you were like, Jesus God, how much does it rain here? I swear to God, I did a rain dance or something because it... And then it followed me back here. Mm Mm-hmm. It rains all the damn time here now. I guess I just have, like, a perpetual, like, black cloud over me. I'm sorry. After the bodies were found, of course, it was, like, a huge investigation. It was, this also happened on the Texas side, but it was, like, Texas and Arkansas City Police. I'm not really sure how that works. I think they probably have their own. That's confusing to me. The two cities. I mean, the city with two states. Like, I don't fucking understand that. Yeah. But not long after the deaths, I mean, we're talking just days because now it's March 27th, and they have already interviewed 50 to 60 witnesses. Fuck! Yeah, and so they were looking at people who had been at that bar, the Club Dallas, employees, everywhere. They posted a $500 reward to get information, but nothing. They got about 100 leads from the reward offering, but nada. Then, on October 13th, This is a Saturday night, and Betty Jo Booker, she was 15, she was playing her saxophone, an alto saxophone to be exact. Get it, girl. She was in a band. It was called The Rhythmares. 
Ooh. I mean. She, she. (laughs) (laughs) Meanwhile, it's probably like the Rhythmires or something. And I'm like, the one eaters. Oh, my God. Yes. Do y'all know what movie that's from? Well, it's called the o- the O-Neater. What did I say? The One-Neater? One-Neater. <laughs> God, I can't even do a joke, right? I forgot how to speak today and every other day. So anyway, they're at the VFW, and they are getting it. About 1.30 in the morning, This so now it's Sunday morning, because, you know, overnight. This is the 14th of April. Her buddy comes to pick her up. His name's Paul Martin. He's 16. And he's going to pick her up and take her home from the performance. That was the last time they were seen alive. So young. I know. So at 6.30 that morning, Paul Martin's body was found by this couple and their son. <gasps> and he was just laying like on the northern edge of a road, North Park Road. And they noticed that there was like blood going further down the side of the road, down by a fence. He was shot four times. <gasps> four fucking times? Once. Through the fourth rib from behind. Fuck. He was shot in the right hand. He was shot in the back of the neck. And he was shot through his nose. What? I know. I saved that one for last. It was the first one on my list, but I had to save it for last. Oh, my God. Well, one, I wonder if he was running away, too. That's what I wonder, because he was coming from that fence. Mm -hmm. Like, there was blood trail, basically. Yeah. So, Betty Jo's body was not found until, like, 1130 a.m., And she was almost two full miles away from Paul's body. And she was, like, stuck, like, not stuck, but she was, like, hidden behind a tree. And so a family by the name of the Boyd family, oh, and the Weaver family is the one who found Paul, by the way. But anyway, the Boyd family found her because there was, like, a whole search party out for her because Mm. they found him. And so they were all, like, all these people were looking for her. And so some people at the search party found her. Her body was found laying on its back. She was fully clothed. And her right hand was in the pocket of her, like, buttoned-up overcoat. What the fuck? Yeah. And so she had been shot twice, once through the chest and once in the face. Oh, my God. That's, like, personal. That is, like. I I don't know. Yes, personal and very, like, aggressive, I feel like. It's, like. And they're, I don't know if it's like, I don't know if I feel like it's, they're shooting them in the face to like change their appearance. And so maybe it was someone who, it was these couples, Lover's Lane, maybe he was jealous, he was acting out because it's like, kind of like the, um what are those guys called that don't like incels. girls? Yeah, the incels that are like. Yeah. Fuck. Stacy. Yeah. So maybe he's was like the the OG incel that was like, yeah. oh, these fucking Chad and Stacys that are right. blah, 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 blah. And so. Ugh. And he does pose them. So they probably were out of the car, mm-hmm. the second couple. Mm-hmm. And he posed them like that. Yeah. yeah. So he definitely has a fantasy. Like how the first one, he made her run. Yeah. And stuff. Now he's like posing them in these. You know, situations yeah. and stuff. Like, ugh. It's almost like, too, like... So, it was like he incapacitated Jimmy by making him take his pants off. Mm-hmm. And then hitting him as hard as he did. So, it was like... He he took the opportunity to embarrass him... Yes. By making him take his pants off and make him more vulnerable. Yep. So, he might not be as willing to chase. 
Yeah. But then still incapacitated him because maybe he was not feeling as strong as he felt as he progressed. Right. So then with this, the second murder. So Jimmy wasn't able to help or save or do anything to Mary Jean. Right. And then with the first murders, it was like he didn't really, I don't think he did as much as far as like, he did more, I think, to with the corpses. Yeah, like how they're, she's in the back. She's kind of vulnerable in that she's sprawled out. Mm-hmm. He's kind of in this position where he's hunched over. But in this case, so I don't feel like he, maybe he didn't act out as much in that one. I don't know. This is all purely conjecture. Yeah. Allegedly. <laughs> we don't know shit. But like this one, I feel like is a lot more like the first one in that she's over here by this tree. Mm-hmm. And it looks like her partner left her. Right. In that he didn't protect her. He ran away from her. So it's almost like he is the OG incel where he's like, see, I'm a better man. I would have stayed and protected her. Whereas he ran. Stick with us, guys. We'll be here all week. (laughs) (laughs) Meanwhile, everybody who actually has a psychology degree is like, absolutely fucking not. Right. (laughs) That's not what any of that means. They're pulling their hair out. I'm sorry. But I really do feel like with the first murder, the second couple, but this the first murder, Mm -hmm. there really wasn't as much of that kind of like positioning or drama field. You know what I mean? What do you mean? Like she they was sprawled out and he was in the back seat and he was just kind of like hunched over. But that's in a submissive. Oh, true, true. Well, I just feel like with the first murder, it was like he made, or I'm sorry, with the first attack, he made her run, mm-hmm. you know? And so it was like this dramatic, like, scene. Yeah. And you can kind of make an assumption that maybe in the second murder it was similar because they were found in different locations or maybe even... Well, she was shot in the back of the head, right? So they could have been running away. True. And then he moved them. Mm-hmm. True. And then maybe that's where all of the blood came yeah. from on the... The grass. I mean, the running board. Yeah, the running board because that was him trying to load a dead body up in the fucking mm-hmm. car that's heavy as shit. Maybe. Okay. So in the... Second set of murders that was Betty Joe and Paul Martin. It was the same gun used as the first double murder. It was the 32 caliber Colt pistol. They ended up finding Paul's car about three miles away from where Betty Joe's body was. And that was about a mile and a half away from Paul's body. So that's just like a big distance, I feel mm-hmm. like. So, so like how. How did he manage that scene? You know what I mean? So, like, let's say that he did have them run. Like, how do you get her two miles away from the car? Or... He kills him first and follows after her. Or... Or incapacitates him. Or... Okay. (laughs) (laughs) He just drives her car away. Like, that's how he gets away. Oh, true. If he walks there or whatever, you know, if he's like... Hitching a ride on a bus or the back of a truck. I don't know. Right. He gets to the lover's lane. I, and did then, you say a turnip truck? I didn't say, but I said the back of one. Okay. He didn't fall off the turnip truck yesterday. <laughs> He's a nice fellow, right? Yeah, he is. He is so concerned about your britches. <laughs> Do they fit right? Do you need them hemmed? Do you have money in the pocket? Right. Are those Wranglers? What are the... <laughs> Dungaroos. Yes. How did you know that's what's going to Donna's dad, that's what he calls them. His dungaroos. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So the car, when they found it, it still had the keys in it. And the the authorities were like, shit, we don't know who was shot first. The examinations of the bodies showed that, like, they both 
put up a fucking struggle. They fought hard. I mean, he had the the gunshot wound in his hand. Yeah. You know, so he clearly fought back. Yeah. The police couldn't find Betty Jo's saxophone, though. And so they were like, well, what, like, what does that mean? How does this mm-hmm. play into it? But they did find it six months later. And it was still in its case. And it was kind of near some underbrush where her body was. And so they just ended up finding, I don't know, whatever. So then the the reward went up to $1,700 for any information in the two double homicides. Dang. You know, the rumor mill is going berserk. Because it's like, it's, you know, small town, little area. And... Couples. Yeah, it's like on this lover lane, lover's lane. You know, everybody's everybody's talking. Mm-hmm. And so, one of the rumors is that a local minister had actually turned in his own son, thinking that he had done the Betty Jo Booker murders. Oh, my God. Hey, props to him, though, for, mm-hmm. like, he thinks it. I mean, like, you know what I mean? Yeah. It could, I mean, that all could be a rumor. He, you know, nobody may have ever turned anybody in like that. Right. But, yes, I do agree with what you're saying. On April 18th, that Texas Ranger issued a statement and was like, guys, you got to fucking stop with these rumors that you're circulating. Like, it's your, it truly is, quote, a hindrance to the investigation and harmful to innocent persons. Yeah. Which is so true because it's like once it's out there, oh, once gosh. you say, like, hey, I think that. Joe Schmo did this. It's like mm-hmm. their lives are never the same. I think it was the Jacob Wetterling case. Oh yes, where that guy, Poor guy. yes, yeah, ruined his fucking life, his whole life. And if they would have just checked his property that night when he said, mm-hmm. "Please come check this out. Please yep. look at this property. Do whatever you need to do," and they didn't. Yep. If they would have just fucking done it, they could have ruled him out. Yep. And his life is never the same. No. And so that's. Pure shit. Because it truly is guilty until proven innocent. Mm-hmm. And even then, some people are still going to believe you're innocent. Yeah. I mean, I'm sorry, guilty. Yeah. Okay. Now we're on Friday, May 3rd. Virgil Starks, he was a 37-year-old guy. He was a farmer, welder, had himself a little house off the highway, had 500 acres of land. Fuck. He's doing it right. Right. That's a lot of fucking... Can you imagine how long it took him to mow that shit? Oh, Especially back in 1946. They didn't have zero turn. That's why he has cows and shit. True. He probably had it like a tractor and stuff. Anyway. So he lives about 10 miles northeast of Texarkana on the Arkansas side. Okay. He and his wife, her name's Katie. She's 36. They are... Sitting there, he's listening to his favorite little weekly radio show. Oh, she, a paranormal chick. Uh huh. He's got a, a sore back, so she gets him a little heating pad. He's just sitting there in his little armchair, pretending to be a detective. And Katie's up in her bedroom, laying on the bed. Is this us? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so Katie hears something in the backyard. She tells Virgil, "Turn down the radio." <laughs> and while Virgil was reading. His Texarkana Gazette, which mm. was a, a, a book. No, it wasn't. A newspaper. Two shots were fired <gasps> from the closed double window about three feet away into the back of his head. What the fuck? So, Katie didn't hear the gunshots, but she heard what sounded like breaking glass. 
So she thought Virgil had just dropped something. The guy was inside the house? And so she went down to, like, check it out. Well, she didn't go down. They went in a two-story. She just went to check it out. When she got down, when she got to the living room, she saw Virgil stand up and then, like, suddenly just, like, slump back down into his seat. Then she saw, like, all this blood. So she ran to him, lifted up his head. That's when she realized that he had died. So she ran to call the police. The line was cut. Well, it's a wall crank phone. Oh, shit. So she rang the wall crank phone two times, and then she was shot twice in the face. What the fuck with this guy? From the same window. One bullet went through her right cheek and exited behind her left ear. Shit. So it, like, crossed her face. The other one went in her lower jaw, just below the lip, breaking and splintering like breaking it, splintering, and like a couple of teeth fell out. Oh, my and it God. lodged under her tongue. Holy fuck. So she like falls out, like, you know, collapses. But she is like fucking he woman and gets up, runs to go get her pistol from the living room, but she could not see because she was bleeding so much. Oh, my like, God. Like she could not see through her own blood. She said that she. She survives? She heard the killer, like, tearing loose this rusted screen wire on the back porch. Oh, my God. And so she went up towards her bedroom to the front of the house to leave a note. Dude, this girl is goals. The killer ran to the back of the house and, like, came up the steps to the side screened-in porch. And when she heard the killer coming through the window, she turned around, ran through the dining room, through the bedroom, like down the hallway to another bedroom, to the living room, and then out the front door. And, like, they said that she left behind, like, the quote is a, quote, virtual river of blood. Oh, And teeth throughout the house and across the street. So she was barefooted, still in her nightgown, covered in blood, ran across the street to her sister and her brother-in-law's house. Oh, my gosh. No one was home. So she had to go another 50 yards to A.V. Pratter's house. He, like, answered the door, and she, like, yelled out, Virgil's dead, and collapsed. Oh, my God. So, old A.V. got his rifle, shot it into the air, so that another neighbor named Ulmer Taylor would be alerted. Yes. So... He called him, and he was like, come get your, come, like, bring me, bring your car, because they've been shot. And so, they take the Pratters and their baby with them, you know, and the Miss Stark, who was, like, freaking he-woman, right, to the hospital. She gave the driver one of her teeth with oh, a gold filling. She was like, <laughs> sorry, I just am thinking, like, save the gold. <laughs> Like, this is all I can pay you. Yeah. Oh. Well, now I'm a bitch. I mean. So, she was, like, in this kind of semi-conscious state because she had lost so much fucking blood. But, like, what's crazy, though, is that she never, like, went into shock. Like, her heart rate always stayed normal. Like, she was like, this is the lady that you want in a crisis. Yeah. Damn. So they take her to the operating room. And, of course, the news the next morning is, like, you know, another murder. 
And it was this time, it was like a farmer and his was killed and his wife is wounded. So it's different than the previous murders. Yeah. Wait, so was he inside the house when he shot Virgil? No, he shot him through the window because it busted the window. Oh, Virgil was inside. Virgil was, he was camped out with his heating pad listening to his radio. I was picturing him outside. No, Virgil was the one hanging out in his chair. Yeah, well, see, okay, this is me assuming because he's a farmer and mm-hmm. he has a chair. I just assumed he was in a rocking chair drinking some sweet tea, got his gazette on, Mm-mm. you know, and that's why I was like, oh, he was in the house. But, no. Okay, I'm glad I did that because it clarifies. I'm sorry if y'all got that. When police got to their house, the chair had caught fire because of the electric heating pad. Because remember, oh this is 46. Gosh. Like, yeah, that shit will fuck you up, you know? Yeah. But he wasn't burned because he had, like, fallen out of the chair. And so he wasn't, his body wasn't caught on fire, just, yeah. just the chair. So they set up roadblocks everywhere trying to find who did it the fbi is involved the texas rangers like everything i mean this is the fifth murder yeah third injury so eight people total within like a month and a half that's crazy two months maybe and you know they're like the only thing that they found at the crime scene was bullets like you know Mm -hmm. the caliber of bullets a flashlight that was found in the kind of on the hedge, you know, like the the bushes around the window mm-hmm. from the window that he Virgil was shot from, and like some bloody prints throughout the house, like shoe prints on the kitchen floor, smudged fingerprints in some other places, and so they were thinking that, well, maybe this murder isn't linked to the other four because it was a twenty two caliber gun. The others were, what did I say, 32 caliber? 34. There were a couple of men that were just, like, identified as being around that area at the time. And so they picked them up for questioning, but none of that panned out. They brought bloodhounds in because they found two different trails of the scent, but then it was lost. Mm. So they're doing, like, everything that they could possibly do in 1946 to catch these people and or this person or whatever, but they hadn't. 47 officers were working around the clock to solve this. They sent the flashlight off to Washington, D.C. for the FBI to inspect it. Wow. The kind of unofficial theory that they had decided was that the person who was doing these killings was some sort of, like, sex maniac. Because there there was a lot of money in the house, and none of it was taken. And her purse was, like, right there next to her. And Mm -hmm. her jewels and all of that. None of that was stolen. So, after Virgil's death, the reward went up to $7,000. But Shit, 1946. I wonder how much that was. A lot. The murders just basically created panic in Texarkana. Like, there were two double murders. And then... You know, Virgil's murder. So, five murders total. And so, they're like, the parents in town were not letting their kids stay out late. There were curfews. Like, certain businesses had curfews. You know, it was just like this panic of the killer may strike at any moment kind of thing. You know, they were leaving their typical town, you know, what you're thinking of in the, the olden days. Yeah. Nobody locked their door. But everybody started locking their doors, pulling their shades down, blocking their windows out, 
a lot of people started buying guns, guard dogs, the, like, basically were sold out in the city. Like, there were, like, all these people were getting guard dogs to protect themselves because, you know, it wasn't now, it wasn't just the people on Lover's Lane were getting it. Virgil was shot through his window, so they're like, pull your drapes down so that they can't see in, you know, Mm -hmm. get a guard dog so that, you know, whenever something's on your property, you hear it, you know, that kind of thing. The hysteria, like, kept the police so freaking busy. Oh, I bet. Businesses reported, like, 20% drop in business. Hell yeah, I'm not going out of my house. <laughs> yes. Like, it, it went from, like, this kind of bustling area in the evening to a deserted town. Yeah. You know. Desolate. Yes. Desolate. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I was like... Mm. That's the last time I try to be she she. Like just to tell you how the how big the fear was. One time this bartender like shot a customer in the foot because the dude was like trying to find his beer and like I don't know something the guy did like freaked him out and like they were just all so trigger happy and just so scared. Yeah, the smallest thing. Yeah, I mean they were saying that like if people were like had already been drinking places like liquor stores wouldn't sell them alcohol because they didn't want to. Like, they wanted the cops freed up to be able to search. Like, you know what I mean? They were just, it was just going crazy. Some of the people were absolutely done with being scared. And so, they took it upon themselves to become amateur sleuths. Mm -hmm. So, there was this one night that this police officer walked up to this car and he was like, I'm Tillman Johnson with the Miller County Sheriff's Department. Aren't you scared to be parked here at night? Because it was this car with this young couple yeah. sitting on fucking Lover's Lane. And they're like, have you lost your damn mind? What are you doing? You know? Yeah. And the girl was like, you're the one that ought to be scared, mister. It's a good thing you told me who you were. And, like, she had a twenty five caliber pistol pointed at him the whole time they were talking. Dang. Because she was ready to pew, pew, his ass. Yeah. But because he said who he was, like, if he had just came up. Yeah. The killer got the name. Like, it goes by a lot of different names. You know, the Lover's Lane, the... Moonlight. Yeah. But after the death of Betty Jo Booker and Paul Martin, the killer was dubbed the Phantom Killer. Because, shit, who the fuck is he? You right. Know? Like, there's literally no clue who this guy is. Yeah. If you remember, Jimmy Hollis and Mary Jean Larry had different had differing... I guess, recall of Mm -hmm. the perpetrator. Well, so the only other person to see, or the only other surviving victim was Katie Starks, but she never saw who it was. Right. So it was like the only people that could give a description didn't even agree on what this person looked like. Yeah. And so the only thing they knew basically of the MO or the modus operandi was that he killed on the weekend and it was roughly, like, three weeks apart. And it was always late at night. That's all they knew. I wonder if he worked offshore. Maybe, but I was like, he has a, a rough work schedule because, you know, yeah, weekends only. There were a few different suspects that they had, but I'm just going to talk about maybe really just one. The suspect? Yeah. <laughs> so, there was this guy, Max Tackett. He was 33 years old. He was a... Arkansas State Police Officer, rookie at the time. No. Oh. And he realized that a car had been stolen on the nights of the murder. 
And previously, stolen cars would be, like, found abandoned. Mm. And so, on June 28th, he finds a car that had been reported stolen sitting in a parking lot. So, he sat there and watched the car until somebody came to it. Yeah. Well, a 21-year-old woman came to the car. He arrested her and is like, who the fuck are you? What's this car? Whose is it? What happened? Who is your daddy? <laughs> no, no, no. I'm just oh my god, I was so saying that in my head. <laughs> okay, so she had just married this guy down in Shreveport, and he was in Atlanta right now at the time, trying to sell another car. So old Max decides that he asked the guy like whose star was stolen, like, "Hey, would you recognize him if you saw him?" and he said, no, I wouldn't. And so he was like, okay. Well, the guy whose car was stolen, he's very, like, distinct looking. Cowboy hat, boots, which is not really distinct in Texas, I feel like. But <laughs> So what he does is he pretends to be the guy whose car was stolen. So he goes to the news, a bus station. God, I don't know anything. <laughs> he goes to a bus station for when this guy's coming back in town to be at the bus oh. station to see if he, quote, recognizes. Mm-hmm. Like, if if the guy who stole the car thinks that that guy is who yeah. he stole from. So when this guy gets off the bus, he sees the police officer who he thinks is who he stole the car from mm-hmm. and takes off fucking running to run out the back of the building. So what is he, you know, gives chase and catches him on the fire escape. And so the guy is UL Sweeney. And he was like, I ain't fucking talking. Well, his wife, Peggy, does. She says in full detail that her husband is the phantom killer and that he killed Betty Joe and Paul Martin. But, so they get, again, they get a confession from her, but he never talks. Mm-hmm. So, in 1946, which is when all this happened, they couldn't make her testify against her husband because it's spousal privilege. I don't know really what the law is now, but back then, for sure, couldn't make her. I know we yeah. have spousal privilege now, but I'm not really sure the inner workings of it. So, if you're an attorney and you know, hit us up. But she also wasn't a very reliable witness because they both were, like, still in cars together. And, you know, like, that was, yeah. like, their honeymoon. Like, they had just right. got married and they're on honeymoon still in fucking cars. Right. So... But the circumstantial evidence that they had was that Peggy had been arrested for stealing a car the night of the Griffin Moore murders. When the police officer had caught him on the fire escape, he was like, please don't shoot me. And the guy was like, I'm not going to shoot you for stealing cars. And then Sweeney was like, mister, don't play games with me. You want me for more than stealing cars. Ooh. And then when he was, when Sweeney was in the police car, he was like, what do you think they'll do to me for this? Will they give me the chair? They were like, you're not going to get much. Maybe five, ten years. I don't think they'll give you an electric chair for stealing cars. And he was like, Mr. Johnson, you got me for more than stealing cars. So he might not be talking, but he's talking. Right. And then when the attorney told Peggy that her husband was being held for murder, this is before she confessed, she was like, how'd they find out? So she had taken officers like, to a spot where Paul Martin's car was found, like, right around there. They found a heel print. Just There was just a ton of stuff. I'm not going to go into all every single one of them. But she did, in her confession, reveal stuff that the officers knew, but nobody else did. Mm-hmm. But the issues are, 
his fingerprints didn't match the latent prints that they found at the Booker Martin crime scene. Mm. Peggy recanted. Basically, they worked six months trying to either prove or disprove her confession, and they they couldn't. Fuck. So they were like, there was also another confession. It was like, they don't know if it was like a prank thing or if it was true, but an anonymous woman contacted family members of the victims, one of them in 1999 and one in 2000. What? Apologizing for what her father had done. And UL Sweeney was never known to have had a daughter. There's some theories, basically, like I said, that the Virgil's murder and Katie's attack was somebody completely different. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, there is literally probably 30 pages that I didn't even go through of the stuff that I had. Wait, that's it? Yeah. there, there. I mean, there were a ton of other suspects, but it's unsolved. Wait. Yeah. So the phantom murderer is still phantom. We have no idea who he was. And... What kind of ending is that? Well, not. It's not one. I mean, again, there was a German prisoner of war that was considered to be a suspect. There was another guy that asked, like, in, like, a county in Oklahoma that was a suspect because he was a rapist in the area and stuff. And just, so there were Mm -hmm. some things that kind of lined up. But what happened to Yoohoo and Peggy? Like, there's no follow-up? They didn't Mm-mm. get arrested? Mm-mm. I mean, there was all? nothing to... I yeah. mean, how? What can they... They can't... I mean, they're going to lose if they take them. Yeah. There was, like, an ex-Army Air Force machine gunner, Ralph Bowman, and he said... Like, he was quoted saying, I've been in a coma running from something, maybe murder. I want to clear it up. If I didn't kill five people in Texarkana, I want to settle down and be a stuntman in Hollywood. There was another guy that was an African-American man in his 30s. His tire tracks were found on the other side of the road from Martin's body. And he he failed a polygraph, but they had him hypnotized. And they were like, he has no criminal tendencies. Like, you got the wrong dude. There's some things that are say that the reason why the murders ended in Texarkana was because the Phantom Killer... Moved and became Jack the Ripper. Why does everything go to Jack the Ripper? I don't know. Him or owls? Shit. There's a lot of good, on the Wikipedia page, there's a lot of good information about each of the individual victims. And, like, kind of just what they did that night. Like, you know, when they went to the movies, they took his brother. And, you know, lots of good information like that that I highly recommend you reading. There's also lots of good information on the investigators, too, in the Wikipedia page. This is, like, the longest Wikipedia page I've seen in my life. Shout out to them, Murderpedia. And there was a bunch of other stuff I found, but, like, Radar Online and, of course, Reddit. Radar Online. Mm-hmm. There were some, in July of 1956, there were some bloodstained clothes that were found in the attic of a school. What? And yeah, and it was kind of, that school was kind of close to the railroad tracks that were near where the Martin's car was found. I need cold case to open this shit up. I know. But by the time that they got them to like the Texas lab and all of that, they had started deteriorating. And so there was some arguments about like there was some reports that said that, that it wasn't blood stains, but that report was 
like mistaken and it actually was blood saying. So again, it's just yeah, like convoluted. This is almost like with the mismanagement of evidence, but I, not because of malice or poor Word. quality of detectives. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I mean, I think it was just a sign of the times and how they knew how to handle evidence and save it and preserve it and all yeah. that. And so there was, there's just not a whole lot that, that we have to help solve this case. Yeah. And it was in such a short time period. I mean, it was only like two or three months. Right. And so whoever it was left the area. Wow. Because there's no way that you can do that level. It was like, it was like the first attack was his first attempt, you know, and then he got progressively more aggressive Mm -hmm. where he went from, okay, an attack to they were together Mm -hmm. to they were separated to they were at their house where they potentially had access to weapons. Yeah. If it was all the same person, which it may not have been. But, yeah, so this was – I'd never heard this story before. Me either. So when you found it, I was like, holy shit. You know, there's just so much to it that I know that I'm only scratching the surface, which I feel like I say that about all my stories. But, I mean, like, if you – there was just so much. Yeah, this could be a whole podcast. Uh Uh-huh. Oh, oh, 100%. Someone do that. Mm -hmm. Payne Lindsay, someone, please – the people over at Cold, they did a good job. Oh, fuck yes. Y'all do that because they listen and all. <laughs> so, yeah, it's unsolved, which is, like, so infuriating. Like, an unsolved murder to me just, like, sticks in your crawl and makes you just, you know what I mean? <laughs> yes. I had to say that old saying because, you know, we were over in Texas mm-hmm. in Arkansas. But you know I had to do a Texas one because we had gotten some requests uh-huh. from our Texas listeners. So shout out Texas. <laughs> what movie? You said it like last oh. thing. But what is it? Miss Congeniality. <laughs> Don't try to stump me. Mm-mm. Are you totally disappointed in the fact that it's unsolved? No. You weren't expecting that though. You were like, is that it? Yeah. I was like, <laughs> well, it was kind of an abrupt ending. skimmed it and I was like, wait, what? Yeah, sorry. That was kind <laughs> of an abrupt ending. I did that poorly. I mean, I'm not giving it a 10 out of 10. No, I'm just kidding. This bitch. (laughs) No, it makes me, like, hungry for more. I want... Carbs. Well, yes. (laughs) But, yeah, I mean, it gets me even more interested. Like, I'm going to look this up, too. Well, get ready for a deep dive. There was, like I said, that whole movie on it. and Oh, yeah, I want to see that movie. There was some, like, the Reddit... Threads and stuff that I found did say, like, the people who were from Texarkana hated the movie because they said that there was a ton of inconsistencies mm. in it, which, like, like even, like, it was like a banjo instead of a saxophone or some shit like that. You know, just stupid stuff like that. Yeah. But there is this girl on YouTube. Her name is Georgia Marie. And I watched a good bit of her, like, telling of it. Mm-hmm. Maybe about, well, Maybe not a good bit of it. Anyway, about half of it. And she, you know, does a good job of, like, you know, telling the facts and all of that. And she apparently has a pretty big YouTube page with, like, a bunch of different... Like, she does something on Jack the Ripper, Jeffrey Dahmer. Cool. She does a John Bonet. Ooh. Anyway, so y'all check her out. I've only watched the one thing that I did today, but it seemed pretty good. Awesome. So that's that. Well. So what do we learn? That we should probably talk to each other and be like, look, my story is really long and has no 70, fucking ending. Yeah. 
No ending in 75 theories. Mm-hmm. What the hell that we both did, like, unsolved slash, like, nobody fucking knows. Right. Ugh. I'm sorry. This is like, we need more closure. I know. I'm sorry. You're probably leaving unsatisfied. You know what? Carbs. Carbs can fix that. Okay. So we know we gotta, we need to communicate. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I want to say for two, it's like had something about like believing people. But, I mean, I feel like that could go both ways. But that the first couple that was attacked by the phantom killer, they thought that maybe they were covering up for one another and, mm-hmm. like, a domestic violence type thing because they had differing, not really differing stories, but differing accounts of what the person looked like. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, since they didn't believe them, I mean, not that they necessarily would have found the person, but, so I don't know, that was a terrible number two. <laughs> because I can see why, again, both sides of... Don't, you don't, whatever. (laughs) Don't take everything at face value, but then also, I feel like, believe people until they give you a reason not to. Yeah. Well, for the number two I was thinking of, I was going to say, like, don't, don't just be on a lover's lane. Like, Mm -hmm. because you are vulnerable then. You're in compromising situations. Mm -hmm. And... You're not, you're like studying what's right in front of you or underneath you. Yeah. Not. Your surroundings. Yeah. So, I mean, I mean, I know it was a different time back then, but one person had to be done. I was like, you ain't taking me here. Mm -hmm. Like we necking right down here. Yeah. I mean, I'm all about you getting frisky and freaky wherever you want to, Mm -hmm. but just be safe. Right. I like that for three. Okay. Be frisky, be funky, be sexy, do whatever you want to do, just be safe. And have a safe word. Mm. Well, really, we want to know y'all's theories because you've heard us, I mean, talk till we don't make sense. So, like, y'all not make sense with us or help us make sense. Mm -hmm. And thank y'all for all the ideas. We've been getting some good ideas for stories lately. And then Donna got this one from... Marie, and then I feel like you got the idea of my story from somebody. It may have been a different group, but... Yeah, I think it was in a group. Someone mentioned it, and I was like, never heard of that, but that sounds amazing. Yeah, so y'all keep the ideas coming because we take them to heart and we, you know, do them. Obvi. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe we shouldn't do them at the same time, but, you know, you live, you learn. We'll do it again. Yeah, definitely. (laughs) So, y'all don't forget to subscribe, review, like, all those things. Send us your sinister sightings. Check out the website with pictures of all the stuff that we talk about in the episodes and the link to the merch store and Patreon. And remember, creep it real and and don't don't get scared. scared.